Well, I want you to turn in your Bible over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, as we continue our series, God, Your Family, and You, and this is part six of Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. Now, in very quick review, I like to give a little bit of review because if you're coming in on these things and you haven't heard any of this, sometimes there's a disconnect. And so let me just quickly go through some of this. To train up your children properly, I believe there are four foundational principles or factors involved. One is unconditional love, which we have covered in detail. If you haven't heard that message, you should hear that. The second one is firm, consistent discipline, which we are on right now. We'll be finishing that today. And here, all of that coupled with, of course, the first one. And then biblical instruction, we will go into that next week. And then a godly parental example, perhaps the most powerful one as far as having an impact on our children of all of them. And so these four principles, if they are done, if they are done wholeheartedly, if they are done with passion, if they are done consistently, faithfully, you will find that these cover all the different aspects of the life of a child and your children to where there's a very good chance that you are going to see wonderful things in your children. And God certainly does honor his word. So we looked at unconditional love. We are on firm, consistent discipline. And again, what is that? Well, this has to do with training our children to obey and to respect authority. Training our children to obey and respect authority. Discipline, the word discipline, is related to the word discipleship in the Bible. And uh, that is what we are trying to raise our children to be, disciples of Jesus Christ. It is a training that takes a combination of correction and instruction in the life of that child. Now the word disciple, the root word of the root word disciple, it means a learner, a learner. And we know in light of scripture, it's the idea of learning so that we will do what it is we learn. So it's the application of learning. It's not just accumulating head knowledge. That may be at the root, but that simply means that's where you begin. It goes on from there. The goal with our children is for them to not only trust Jesus Christ the Savior, but also then to grow up and to love and to serve him with their lives. That's the goal. So always think in terms of when you look at your children, okay, think in terms of, okay, what is it I'm trying to do here? Am I, as an adult, just trying to survive parenthood? Well, it should be more than that. And there are times, certainly, it's like, wow, you know, I just feel like I'm spent I get that, okay? Every parent goes through that. But step back, look at the goal, okay? readjust things, make sure that's where you're going, that's the direction you're going, okay? It isn't, parenting is more than just putting out fires, okay? Parenting, by the way, is not punishment. Parenting is discipleship. Let's remember that with this. But we want them to be saved and we want them to grow up to love and serve him. Now, if they're not under control, there's a very good chance neither of those things is going to take place. And so control comes through proper discipline. Many biblical truths for us to understand about discipline. Again, I'm reviewing these, and then we're going to wrap up with the last few today. First, it is your God-given right as a parent to discipline your children. 
All right? Secondly, it is a God-given command of Scripture. Third, children need corrective discipline because they are naturally sinful. This is where we begin in looking at Scripture today. The others, of course, have Scripture. If you have not seen or heard those messages, those are all available on the Internet. You can go and you can hear those. In Psalm 51, in verse 5, it says, Behold, David's writing, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was a born, he was a conceived sinner. And so therefore, that is, the Bible says, and also in the book of Psalms, the wicked go astray from the womb. So we are sinful from the very beginning. And because of that, we need proper biblical discipline which leads us, because of the sinfulness of us, fourth, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We see this in Proverbs 22, in verse 15. It says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. This is God's method. I know people look at that and they say, well, I think that's barbaric. Well, let me tell you something, friend. You're not God. God is the one who created us. God knows what works. Okay, He has a divine method, and you cannot improve on the method of God. People have been trying to do that now for centuries, and every time they come up with a new way, whether it's Dr. Spock or something else, it always ends up in failure. The best thing to do is to go back to the architectural plans that were created by God himself. Again, he is our creator. He's the one who made us. He knows what works. Now, you have to do what he said in the right way, but his way works. And so he says the thing that loosens the foolishness or the rebellion in a child is the rod of correction that will drive it, the Bible says, far from him. Again, keep in mind with all of this that you are training your children. And with this comes respect for authority, which then will open them up to respecting God and being teachable. If your children don't respect you, they're not going to respect God. Parents, listen, if you have a war going on in your hands with your children, it's bigger than the war with you. If you don't win your war, the war with God probably won't be won either. They have to get to where they listen. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, people say, well, you know, I was a rebel when I was a kid and I came around. Yeah, and praise God for that. And that's called grace. But don't figure that that's automatically what's going to happen with your children, especially for those who know the truth. We need to be applying these things. This is where you want them as they get older so that they will be more open to the gospel. We want them to respect God and we want them to be teachable. That way when we give them the truth, they're listening because they've learned to respect authority. It's foundational. Remember, without control, there's no learning. Now, that in mind, the idea, I've already used the word rebellion. The idea, what does rebellion mean? Well, rebellion is an act or a show of defiance toward an authority or an established convention. It's a, an act or a show of defiance. And let me say this, it could also be an attitude of defiance towards authority. Not a good thing. God tells us very clearly in the scriptures that according to First Samuel, it says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, if your children were involved in witchcraft, you would be very concerned about that. And you'd say, oh, that's evil, that's dark, that's wicked, that's satanic. Yes, it is. And guess what? Rebellion is just as bad. It's just as bad. 
This is sobering, isn't it? Okay, let's move on. You must work when you discipline your children. You must work towards the important goal of first-time obedience. You can train your children to first-time obedience. This will do away with 40 to 50% of all the battles and the frustration that parents go through. It's very simple. You train them to where it's like, okay, we're going to leave now. Let's go. Let's, come on, let's go. And what do they do? They stop what they're doing and they come to you. You might say, can you really get them to be that way? Yes, you can, but it takes training. It takes discipline, okay? It takes time. It takes, you have to invest into the life of your child to get them to that point. Let's go on. Correction teaches them proper respect for authority. Again, I know I've touched on this, but in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now, we know that that is in the context of local church, but the principle is a biblical principle. They are supposed to obey those that have the rule over them, respecting authority. Parents, that means this, that if your children are not obeying at school, you need to take care of it at home because God has put those authorities over your children. And the way our school, Northland Christian School, is set up, we don't spank children at school, okay? We don't do that to other people's children. And we only have so much discipline that we give because it's simply this. We are partnering with parents and we expect the parents when we say, listen, we are having problems with your son or we're having problems with your daughter at school. You know what? That should be history by the next day. You might say the next day. Yes, the next day. They need to understand if they are rebellious the next day, Whatever you did as far as discipline is going to be worse the next day. You need to win the battles on these kind of things, okay? Don't say, well, you know what? I don't know what to do with them. I'll send them to school. Not our school. It's your job as a parent. God gave those children to you. Yes, we are going to partner with you. And what you're going to find is what we are going to do is biblically based, and therefore, we need to partner with you, and you need to do it. And you know what, folks? If we have a united front at home and a united front at school, guess what? There's a consistency there. And there's a much better chance that that child's going to say, you know what? I need to submit. Well, that not that what we're trying to teach them is submission to authority? And then when they submit to authority, you know what they find? They find life goes better. Duh. Because proper authority is not going anywhere. So listen, if your children try to wear you down, be an adult and say, you know what? Now, you don't have to say this to them, but you could if it came down to that. But in your mind, say, by the grace of God, I am going to win. He's not going to win. She's not going to win. I am going to win. Because God has empowered me as the parent to win these battles. Because the soul of my child is at stake. Therefore, I will stand my ground and I will win. Now, that doesn't mean you're unreasonable. We'll get to that in just a few minutes, by the way. But you need to understand this. Moving on uh, next. Discipline for attitude is just as important as discipline for action or wrong action. An important issue in discipline is to bring a child to repentance. Now, what does that mean? The word repent means to change your mind, to have another mind, to think differently, 
okay? What are we trying to do? When you discipline your child, you are bringing them to a point of repentance to where they have a change of attitude, to where they have a change of mind. Parents, if you have to discipline your children and when you're through disciplining them, their mind is exactly the same, they're still in rebellion and still nasty towards you, guess what? You've got to discipline them again until you bring them to a point of repentance. Their mind is changed. This repentance is bringing the will of the child into submission to you and hopefully to God's principles in his word. See, a humble spirit is a teachable spirit. We're wanting to get them to where they're not humiliated, but humbled. Not something to where we have broken their spirit. No, you don't want to break their spirit to where they give up and they're just a, a blob as a, of a child. But we do need to break their will because breaking the will is what it means to bring them then into submission. When you discipline, if there is no repentance, you have not succeeded. Listen, when our children rebel, folks, confrontation with our children is absolutely necessary for their well-being. Listen, my wife and I have been there. Our hearts go out to people. You know, they're, they're, they're having a battle with their children. They're having a battle. It's like, boy, you know what? I, I had to deal with them three times today. I can't believe it. I'm so troubled by that. I had to discipline them three times today. Yeah, but did, did you do it right? Well, yeah, I, I did it right, but I had to do it three times today. Don't fret over that. Because if you stay at it and you do it right, the day is going to be coming when you don't have to do it at all. And your posture is not going to be one where you're having to control. Now you're moving it into a teaching mode because they've got the self-control, which is the goal of discipline. And now you're getting to where you can teach them the truth. Why? Because they're teachable, because they're humble. They're not in rebellion. But trying to teach a rebellious child, good luck on that one. If you find yourself trying to appease your child, then he or she is in control of you, not you in control of them. Don't make deals with your children. Listen, parents, don't do this. Do not do this. We're going to the store, and you know what? If you're good, I'll give you whatever candy bar when you get home or this or that. If you're good, I'll give that to you. Listen, why are you doing that? You know, the very fact that you're saying that, either number one, you're ignorant of the principle, and I don't mean that in a condescending way, you just don't understand the principle. Or number two, you're admitting that they're in rebellion and that you're doing some sort of external trick to get them to behave because you think that they're not going to behave. Wouldn't it be better to discipline them properly at home and have that child under control before you go to the store? And they go to the store and they're fine and they're, they're a blessing. Okay, and maybe even people say, boy, you've got such well-behaved children. You're going, hmm, you know. <laughs> you don't know the, the battles we've had here. But anyways, don't tell them that. What battles? What's your name? You know, <laughs> um, don't tell them that. But here's the point. Here's the point. You might say, well, you know what? My kids are usually really, really good. And they go to the store, and you know, I've had them just surprisingly, they just throw a fit while they're in the store. What do I do? Well, you need to take care of the problem. Now, I know some people will maybe balk at this idea. If you have to, take them out to the car. 
and deal with them. By the way, do not spank your children in public. Do not get rough with your children in public. You're asking for trouble. You need to be in privacy when you deal with your children. Very important that you remember that because there are people out there who will report you, even if you're really not doing anything wrong, they will report you. And listen, the way the law system is set up today, you are not innocent before proving guilty. You are guilty, and you're going to have to prove that you're innocent. This is the way it is with children. And I understand there are some good people in government with good motivation about this, but let me tell you, do not make a parent guilty before they are. Many times it's not a problem, but people, you know, they get power and it goes to their heads. Let's move on. Children must learn that they cannot do whatever they want. <laughs> Isn't that simple? Selfish, spoiled children often grow up to be what? Selfish, spoiled adults. I want my own way. I'm going to have my own way. If you don't give me my own way, okay, now, when they're children, what did they do? They stomped their feet, maybe laid on the ground and threw a fit, or did this or did that, okay? If you don't get them trained, when they become an adult, no, they probably won't stomp their feet. People will think they're weird, but they'll do something else. Maybe they'll undermine the authority they're working under. Maybe they'll talk behind their back. Maybe they'll try to cause a division of some kind, or maybe they will lose their head and get violent towards their employer because they didn't get their way. And aren't we seeing too much of that nowadays? Let's move on. Correct discipline is an indication of how much you love your child. See, it's just the opposite of what the world teaches. No. Biblically, correct discipline is an indication of how much you love your child. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 13. And as you're going there, let me say this. Proper discipline... You love them enough to care about how their life turns out. So you discipline them properly. You love them enough to discipline them and teach them submission so that they will listen to God and be submitted to him. You love them enough to where you don't want their life to be destroyed by sin. So you deal with them properly. You love them enough to discipline them so that they can be used of God in a great way. But a child not under control is not going to be used by God in a great way. Their life is probably going to be a mess and a disaster. There's not a parent in the world, I don't, I don't think, who wants that. Proverbs 13, 24, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him. It says, be times or early. That could mean while they're young or that could be early in offense. In other words, you don't let something go on and on and on and on. I told you before, I'll give you one more chance, and then they do it again. I told you, I, one more chance, okay? Or the one, two, three bit. What a waste of time that is. Now, I know there are parents who say this. Yeah, but wait a minute. If I spank my children, they won't love me anymore, will they? Let me tell you something. If you don't spank your children there's a good chance they're not going to love you anymore. See, spanking them, if you do it correctly, it does not make them go away from you. It draws them to you. That is the way it works. It may not seem so at first if you haven't been disciplining them properly, but if you get to where you are disciplining them consistently, properly, fairly, lovingly, etc. What you're going to find is in time, because they have such high respect for you, 
they will then end up loving you. See, love grows out of proper respect, not the other way around. Let's move on. And these are, this is a new one. Discipline within context. Now this is gigantic, folks. Discipline your children within context. In other words, the context of the offense can be very important to take into consideration. If you don't follow this, if you are just rigid, if you're just simply obsessed with rules, okay, you run your house like it's some sort of a concentration camp. What's that going to do? It's going to drive your kids away. It's going to make them angry. It's going to make them bitter. No, there's a context to what they're doing. You know what? According to Ephesians 6, if you provoke them to anger, that's a sin. Don't do that. By the way, this does not mean that we make excuses for our children when they do something wrong. We had a man years ago. I taught on this. Boy, he latched on to this one. He latched on to it. And you know what he started doing? He started making excuses for everything his kids did. Well, you know, I, I didn't discipline him. You know, I, I, he told me what they do. And okay, well, how'd you take care of Well, I didn't discipline him because, you know, I figured this. I figured this or I figured that. Or, well, they had this way or they were up an extra hour last night. And so this thing or that, all these kind of things. Listen, you start making excuses for your children because you're lazy. You're going to lose them. Your children will take that ground that you give them and they'll claim it. As a matter of fact, then if you start trying to discipline them, what they'll do is they'll say back to you the same thing you told them and why they did wrong. Context. And by the way, does that mean we don't have high standards? No, we should have high standards as believers. We should have biblical standards. But higher standards by themselves, there's nothing wrong with higher standards. Higher standards is not legalism. That's the world in which we live today. Christians are so hostile towards anything of principle and truth that every time if you say something that they don't believe it or you challenge them on something, they immediately pull out the L card, the legalism card. You say, well, I don't think we should do that. You're a legalist. Well, you don't know my heart. The very fact that you judged my heart tells me you're the one who's the legalist. No, folks, legalism is not high standards. What legalism is, is that you deal with things out of context and you're more concerned about the rigidity of a rule than you are about the outcome of good character. That would be legalism in parenting. One man said this, we have all heard the exhortation, quote, let's keep things in context, unquote. The most notable aspect of a legalist is this, he rejects context. Responding to the context of a situation does not mean we must suspend biblical law or principle, but that we apply them in the most appropriate way. That's the way it's supposed to be. He goes on, a legalistic approach to parenting is very dangerous, leaving in its wake a frustrated child, one that fears failure rather than loves virtue. Wow. Let us be sure, folks, that we don't raise up our children to where they fear failure more than they love virtue. Because if they fear failure more than they love virtue, their focus is in the wrong point, okay? See, there are kids who are rule keepers, but they're rebels. You might say, wait a minute, how, how can that be? Isn't that a contradiction? There's no contradiction because rebellion is an issue of the heart, isn't it? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So they can be a rule keeper and yet be very wicked. We've had kids come through school 
rule keepers. Okay, they know they can just go right up to that edge, but as long as they don't cross that edge, you'd think they were studying to become a lawyer or something. As long as you don't, you don't cross that line, that little line there, and you're within the boundaries, you won't get a detention, you won't get a de demerit, you won't get in trouble. But yet, all the time, they're always going to the edge, always going to the edge, always going to the edge. It's like saying, how close to the fire can I get before I get burned? How about this? Don't even go around it because you're smart enough to get away from that which is wrong. The psalmist said, I will walk at liberty, freedom, for I seek thy precepts. That's the way to live. Not how close can I get to being wicked or getting in trouble. And that's where I want to live, right on the edge. Dear friend, you're a fool. God has something so much better than that. This issue of context, again, let us not raise our kids to where they fear failure more than love virtue. We need to get to the heart of a child. More about that in just a minute. But this issue of context, let me give you an example of how this would apply. Let's say your children at home, your, your little ones, or maybe not even little, maybe they're even preteens or teenagers. Let's say you have a they have a responsibility. Every day they're supposed to pick up their room and make their beds, okay? Every day, pick up your room and make your bed. But one morning, your alarm does not go off. You thought you said it. So you wake up and it's like, oh, I'm going to be late. And so every, it's frantic city, okay? Everybody's scrambling around. You're trying to find something to eat on the fly, or maybe they're eating on the way to school, a bowl of cereal. I hope you don't have cloth seats anyway. So you're hurrying. By the way, it just happens to be Wednesday at Northland. Well, Wednesdays here are crazy, but they just make it to school, or maybe they're a minute late, and that just makes everybody more frustrated. So the room was not picked up, their bed was not made, everybody was scrambling to get out, so they get home that day after school, well, they've got homework that they have to do before Awana. So they're hurrying to get their homework done, and then it's time for Awana, and they've got their verses that they have to memorize, and so they're hurrying to memorize their verses, how sad is that? We're missing the point, right? But I understand it. I did the same thing in Bible college. Listen, when you're in Bible college and you have five or six verses to memorize a day, yeah, you'll find you're going through the motions sometimes, unfortunately. But let's go back to the kids. So they're hurrying, they're doing their homework, they're memorizing verses, you know, quick, quick, quick. Oh, we don't have time. Well, let's just go through the drive-thru or something. So you go through the drive-thru and you're eating on your way to church, Wednesday night church. You get there, you do a wanna, you know, for whatever reason, there's some reason where you're, you're, you're talking to somebody after church so you don't get home until even later than usual, but still Thursday morning is school. You're getting home late. You're wanting to get the kids to bed. So you say, okay, go on, get up, get up there, change for bed. So they go up and they're ready for bed and you come in to put them to bed and you look, why are these clothes on the floor? Why didn't you make your bed? I told you the rule is that you make your bed and you pick up your clothes. You're going to have to be disciplined for that. Let me tell you something, parents, that is unfair to your child. Just like you didn't get done the things you wanted to get done before you went to school, you, they didn't have the time to do what they were supposed to do. If you discipline them in that situation, you are unfair and you're going to provoke them to anger. And you keep living that rigid lifestyle to where there's no context to the way you deal with them. You keep living that way, you're going to lose your kids. They're going to turn off. You know why? Because they're going to get to the point where they say, no matter what I do, I can never do enough. All is rules, rules, rules. 
I'm not saying don't have rules. I'll get to that in just a second. What I'm saying, though, is this. Keep the context there on what you're doing, okay? Keep the context. You show them a little grace, it's not going to kill them. But you got to realize, let's keep the context here. If, if it's not time to show them grace or mercy in a situation, then don't. If you have to deal with them, then you deal with them. See, you're honest enough with God's word and with them and with God that you say, I'm going to do the right thing. The question isn't, are you going to do the right thing? The question is, what is the right thing in this situation? That's an issue of context sometimes in dealing with that. To discipline them in that situation would be wrong. They didn't have time to do it. It wasn't direct disobedience on their part. Let me say this too, okay? Don't discipline your children for being children. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, you're there and you're sitting there. Now, if they're being careless, if they're being disobedient to you on purpose, that's another thing. Again, that would be a context. But let's say they're there and you're having dinner together or whatever, and they go to reach for something and they knock over their water or their milk. Did they do that on purpose? No. Were they out of control when they did it? No. If you discipline them for that, it's wrong. They're not perfect. Their motor skills may not be what they ought to be at that point in life, okay? Give them a break in that situation. But if you knock something over and somebody came in your door and disciplined you for it, wait a minute, wait a minute, it was just a mistake. I didn't mean to do that. Then why are you doing it to your children? Talking to them about it's a good idea. I can't tell you the hundreds of times when we were eating with our kids when they were little, and, and, you know, every child does this. They have their cup, and instead of having their cup up here, they put it here, okay? Say, no, you, and what would you do? You take your cup and say, leave it up here, or else you're going to knock it, knock it over, okay? And so they're eating, and they're not thinking about it. They're, now, if they took it, and they looked at you and went like this, <laughs> that's rebellion. That's different, okay? But if they just, they just haven't learned yet, be patient with them. Be patient with them. They're children, okay? Now, I know some people may hear, no, you should, okay, I disagree. Let them go on that. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 12. See, folks, do it right, enjoy the blessings, okay? Do it right, enjoy the blessings. Children make mistakes. Let's say, for an example, you're potty training one of your children, and let's say you, uh, for whatever reason, you know, you say, okay, now we're not going to stop for a while. And so you, you, you need to go to the bathroom. Uh, so they go and then you get in the car and off you go. And then for whatever reason, maybe they're losing water weight or whatever. Okay. I can't believe I'm saying this and preaching it. But anyways, they need to go again. You're going to have to hold it. If you don't hold it, boy, are you going to be disciplined for this? Don't be that way. Haven't you ever been that way before? See, put the shoe on the other foot sometimes, folks. This is amazing because some kids are looking at each other. Uh, they must be family trips or something you're, you're thinking about between each other with a smile on your face. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It's never fun to have to discipline, and it's never fun to receive it. But if it's received properly and responded to properly, and from the parent's perspective, done properly, then guess what? 
you're going to see the peaceable fruit of righteousness in that life. And that's worth everything. It really is. Let me say this. Let me go on. Don't make too many rules for your children. Oh, listen, Christians love this. Love to make rules. You know, Christians, we're fundamentalists, so everything's black and white. Well, I don't mean to alarm you, but not everything is black and white. Don't you think there are some gray areas in the Christian life? You better. You better. Or else the only one who you're going to fellowship with is yourself. I wish I had time to tell you a story about some guy who contacted me through email a few years ago. Anyways, he, this guy was a mess. I just, I told him, I'm not even, I'm not even responding to you. And then, I, then his picture, I guess I am telling you about it. His picture was up in the corner, so I clicked on it, and it, it was a picture of him and his wife. And I thought, that woman must live a tortured life married to this guy. He was so obnoxious and so intolerant and so rude. Does that carry over to his family life? I hope it doesn't. Be a gracious person, okay? Don't make too many rules for your children. Remember this. Make whatever rules you have to to be reasonable, and f- the rules you make, make it for their safety and well-being. But you, the more rules you make, remember, you're the enforcer. It'd be much better to have five rules and enforce it than to have 30 rules. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't enforce it. You know what that does to a child? It makes them totally freak out. They don't know what to do. You know, what side of the bed did mom wake up on today? Wonder how it's going to go. How dare you do that? That's rule 35. Mom, what was rule 35 again? You know, don't play dumb with me. You ought to have as few rules as possible in your home. Be a person that lives by biblical principle, not by rules, because rules you're going to have to enforce. Now, you're going to have to have some, but whatever you have, remember, you have to enforce them. And when you enforce them, and when you are consistent with the rules you do have, what it does is it brings clear boundaries into your child's mind. And what that does is it gives them security and peace. Boundaries bring security and peace. But see, boundaries aren't some mean-spirited thing. No, they're there for reason. They're there for good reason. Remember, you are trying to reach the heart of your child. Some children will learn compliance and yet never submit to you or the Lord for the right reason. Are you paying attention, parents, to the heart of your child? Or are you just bent on conformity to your rule? Children who are brought up in a truly legalistic home oftentimes rebel. And the parents don't know why. They say, why, you know, we, man, we were, I mean, we did everything right. Well, you didn't reach their heart. You didn't reach the heart. God is very much concerned about it. Look with me to Matthew 15. Because dealing with the heart is dealing with the attitude. I know we've already touched on that last week, more so than even today. Matthew 15 and verse 19, it says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You notice it? Out of the heart. This is where this comes out. Now, they may not do it in a very controlled environment, but if this is what's in their heart, it's just a matter of time before it does come out. Wouldn't it be better for them to get to where they are repentant in the sense of they've had a change of mind, they are humble, they are submitted, they are teachable? 
Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a lot better. That's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart, reach the heart. And by the way, parents, you know what that is? That's not just, now when they're little, little, discipline is the way it is. But as you've seen in the chart, we've showed it before, as time goes on, okay, your discipline should be less in the sense of what you have to administer, and then your teaching ministry in their lives, which by the way, we'll get to that next week, your teaching ministry in their lives is kicking in. Don't be afraid. If your children are old enough to understand things, don't be afraid to teach them, to talk to them. And listen, you need to listen to them, especially when they get to be preteens and teenagers. You need to listen to them. Now, when I say listen, that doesn't mean you obey them. It means you're hearing them. You're taking time to listen to them. And they ought to have the freedom to ask you questions. And some of the questions they have may shock you, but don't be shocked. Take it as an opportunity for discipleship with that child. They will respect you more and love you more if you'll treat them like a human being. You're going for the heart. Now, let me say this. We're running out of time today, but... There are principles, good methods of discipline. And I would, I'd considered giving it. Then I thought, no, I'm not going to do it in church. Then I thought, yes, I will. And I thought, no, I won't. So because of time, we're not going to do it. If you want to know a method of how to discipline your children, see me personally. I will talk to you about it. Or you can also, as I've mentioned already, get the book, What the Bible Says About Child Training. What the Bible Says About Child Training. It's an excellent book. Richard Fugit is the author of that. It's an excellent book that will teach you about discipline. But you can see me and we can talk about it as well one-on-one. -on -one. But there is a method that you can go through, okay? And uh, I've got, there's actually, there's five, five parts to that. See folks, when your children need to be disciplined, that is the thing they need. Don't sidestep it. But understand, when you do discipline them, what are you doing? You're looking for a change in their attitude when you discipline them. And if there's no change of attitude, you have not succeeded. So you continue to discipline because you have to break the will and bring them into submission. Because living in submission is the key to blessing. And that's the same thing in the Christian life, isn't it? Now let's go to John chapter 3. And I do invite any of you to come and talk to me about how to do it. John chapter 3. You could possibly be here today and you're not sure about your eternal destiny. And you might say, well, how does that relate to, to child discipline? Well, let me say this. God wants you to be his child, spiritually speaking. But the only way you can be his child is through trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Look up here for a moment. If this was to represent you and me and this wallet were to represent our sin, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've already seen that today. The Bible says God loves us. God hates our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. Not a one of us is. We're all sinners. And God says because we've sinned, our sin has to be paid for. Now the wages of sin, according to the Bible, is separation from God for all eternity. God does not want that for anyone. Most people think the wages of sin is going to church or being baptized or keeping the commandments or trying to live a good life or tithing or whatever. Those may be good things, but none of those things will pay for sin. Death is the only payment for sin. Good works won't do it. 
So then how are we going to get rid of it outside of spending forever separated from God where you would never get rid of it, by the way? Well, God so loved the world that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, this hand representing him, the sinless son of God. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he paid for our sin on the cross completely, leaving you nothing to pay for. He paid for it all. He was buried. He came back from the dead. And he says this, if you will believe in him, if you will put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. He loves you that much. He will give it to you as a gift. See, he did all the work when he died on the cross and paid for sin. All he asks you to do is trust in him. When you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. Yes, he made the payment, but it's not good on your behalf until you trust in Christ as your savior. Then that payment is put to your account, according to scripture. You can be saved from hell forever if you will trust in Christ. Look at John 3:36. He that believeth on the Son hath, possesses right now, what kind of life? Everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what is the difference between heaven and hell, whether you will trust in Christ as your Savior? If you will not trust in him as your Savior, God says his wrath is already abiding on you. It's like a dark cloud above you. And once you die, you'll experience the wrath of God. But if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he paid the price for your sin, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. You become his child. If you've not trusted Christ, would you do that today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.